everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book By Searching by Isabel Kuhn with permission of OMF International. And we are in Chapter 10 at Sundry Times and in Diverse Manners. When is the searching ended? In one sense, it is finished when our hand, stretched out to God in the name of his appointed mediator, Jesus Christ, feels the answering grasp and knows that he is there. But in another sense, the searching never ends. The first discovery is quickly followed by another, and then another, and so it goes on. As I write, it is dawning a new day. The far horizon saw the bright spot of the rising sun, but heavy clouds soon covered it. These clouds have become illuminated. Streaks of pink and gold beauty break through chance rents in their filmy cover. Glory after glory appears as the eye eagerly explores the heavens. So it is with God, to find that he is. This is the mere starting point of our search. We are lured on to explore what he is, and that search is never finished. It grows more thrilling the further one proceeds. Up to this point I have discovered that God is, and that he is mine by mediatorship of Christ. I have discovered that he can and will teach me his way or his plan for my life. I have found that he can overcome obstacles and that we do not need to raise a big hullabub to get him to do so. Hudson Taylor was right in his discovery. Learn to move man through God by prayer alone. By searching, I have discovered that God has a strange and sweet ways of manifesting himself. At sundry times and in diverse manners, he is still speaking. He is just as versatile in caring for the needs of those who trust him. And in this chapter, I'm going to tell you how he provided for me in different ways at different times. I've already told you how, through Marjorie Harrison, God provided my fare to Chicago and room and board at the Institute for one year. I've also told you of his remarkable provision for my trip to Washington, how he made provision for autumn term of 1925 when Marjorie's money had been all used up and I was entirely dependent on my own earnings is another story of God's care. It involves another life which had touched mine the previous spring. It must have been about April of 1925 that I was struck by a prayer request given by the evening devotion hours. A graduate student got up and asked for prayer for a girlfriend who had suffered a terrible tragedy and lost her faith. She's coming to see me at the Institute. Pray that she may find the Lord again. A girl struck by heartbreak pushed into the misty flats and floundering bitterly. I saw it with a sympathy that pierced my heart. Lord, give her to me, I prayed inwardly. Oh, I can understand how she feels. I felt he answered that he would. Humanly speaking, there was no likelihood of our meeting in an ordinary course of events. I was now working part-time as a noon rush hour waitress, and the graduate student who had given the request moved in a different circle. The elite, we laughingly dubbed these students, who were wealthy enough to go through school without working their way. They had plenty of leisure, and we had none. So the elite and the workers seldom met outside classrooms. They had picnics and parties for which we could not afford at the time, and naturally, each group clanned together. I could have pushed my way up to the graduate student and asked for an introduction, and it would have been nicely received, but I decided that if it were of the Lord, he must work it out in his own way. Then I would know if it was not my own impulsive wishing. I prayed about it. The strange thing is that neither Ruth nor I remember how it came about. I have a dim recollection of a chance encounter in the post office. I was watching the elite set for the appearance of a stranger, so I spotted her early. She was tall and slim, with a natural curly light brown hair and the soft accent of a southerner. 
Why she noticed me among the hundreds of unfamiliar girl faces at the Institute, I will never know. God answered my prayer and gave me Ruth. That is all I need to say. Soon she was coming to our room for talks and pursuing me wherever she could catch the student laborer. I remember once encountering her just before the noon hour when I was rushing off to be a waitress at the restaurant, the employee's restaurant of a large corporation nearby. I want to talk to you, she said. Fine, I answered. Can you come in tomorrow night? I'm on my way to work now, and I dare not stop. I'm just barely making it now. No, she replied with a mood. I want to talk now. I'll walk with you to your job. Nothing against that, is there, ma'am? We had great fun over the difference in Canadian and Southern speech forms. To me, ma'am was the language of a servant to a mistress. To her, it was a polite way to apologize. She laughed much and mimicked drolly as I beg your pardon and rub my her ma'am as often as possible with a teasing sparkle in her eye. I was just a little diffident about Ruth seeing me in that restaurant. I was a servant to the servants there, so to speak, and the rush hour girls had to take leftover apron uniforms, usually very, very ill-fitted ones. Ruth was the only child of a well-to-do people. Cultured homes was her natural environment. What would she say if she saw me in that restaurant? She was quick to notice my slight hesitation in accepting her escort, and nothing would shake her off from that moment. Right into the restaurant she came, and she saw it all. Saw, too, my embarrassment, and mischievously determined to make the most of it. Ruth was the 20th century counterpart of Mary Tudor, sister of Henry VIII. Charming, capitious, affectionate, utterly lovable. Clever, nimwitted, she was still untamed. To use a more vulgar but more explicit word, she was unspanked. Her parents had spared the rod, and that kind of upbringing always follows their child through the rest of her life. It was impossible ever to handle Ruth. If she saw you tuck the handle under your apron just as soon as you moved your arm, and with an almost devilish mischief, she would whisk it out and brandish it before your chagrined face and defy you. She was my superior in personality, brain, social culture, and everything but one thing. She did not possess the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ or know him as I did. That was what I longed that she might have. But I had not been with her long before I knew I could never deal with her. She was too quick to recognize any such effort and she had my own resentment at the invasion of her spiritual sanctum. She would open up when and where she liked, but no one should knock it open. The only thing I knew to do was to love her and pray for her. Somewhere along the line, maybe in an evening session, relaxed on her bed, talking in the dark, she suddenly opened up and told me her tragedy. She had become engaged to one of God's finest gentlemen, one who knew him and served him devoutly. But they had quarreled, and Ruth had high-handedly broken their engagement. She had never really meant to break with Jack. She loved him too dearly for that. But she had conceived a resentment against life for disappointing her and had to take it out on someone. At the first overture Jack might make, she would melt and be his own darling Ruth again. That was her inward thought, but no overture came. She did not know that. Even while she had this tiff with him, he was going down with a fever. When she did learn of it, he was already in heaven. After this, she had an unfortunate experience with a religious hypocrite. With her lightning-like childishness, she had said she would not believe in God when a Christian would act like that. Yes, it is better to have the rod when you are a child. When life must wield against you, it is too cruel. Can you think what her agonies were? Not just to have lost him. Their wedding date had been set. 
But to have him go before she was able to say, oh, I did not mean it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Her kind, worldly father did the best he knew. He handed her his checkbook and said, go to New York and have a good time. Forget the irrevocable. She went, and all the wildlife she led I do not care to hear about. One question was making my heart stand still. Ruth, did you not grope for the low road? She was silent for a moment. I know what you mean. No. Somehow there was always been in me a hidden passion for purity, but I did everything else. I was wild. I sighed to thank God. Christ can save from the low road where man wallows in fleshy things until his appetites become fibrous. As praise God, our city rescue missions all testify. As for the hidden passion for purity, I understood that too. Hast thou heard him, seen him, known him? Is not thine a captive heart? Anyone who has ever known the Lord, even only in reflection, can never again be satisfied with less. Did the checkbook in the New York wildness help, I asked. She withered with a look. You know it didn't. How I prayed for this dear, honest, if willful young life. I thought if I had been able to help her out from the misty flats. But later she was sucked back in again. In my moody autograph book, a large book, her autograph covers four pages, written in three installments. The first one is her nonsense poems. She had a literary gift, among other things. The elite publishing houses reached after her manuscripts. They didn't even know that I existed. The third installment reads, Wonder if I'll ever finish this. Sounds like the perils of Ruth in three installments. What I've been trying to say for the last two pages is that I love you. Just plain, simple-minded love. You have meant so much to me, you, yourself, and you have meant infinitely more in that you have both showed me the way and fought with me during those hard days of decision. I can wish no greater thing than that you may mean just that to these dear folks in China. I know that Ruth had been sifting me when she caught a glimpse of pride wincing. She seized on it and walked right to the restaurant to see every bit of it. More than that, at a later date, without any warning, she brought a college girlfriend with her to that same restaurant to catch me as I was. But she did more than sift. Tenderly affectionate and generous, she discovered that I enjoyed beautiful things. Maybe it began by her getting permission from the dean to take me out for a meal so we would have more time to talk. My frank delight in the harmonious drapes, shaded lights, and the soft classical dinner music amused Ruth. From then on, she deliberately hunted up quaint, pretty tea rooms and increased the frequency of her invitations. With her unfailing charm, she could wrangle a permission out of a dean that no one else would even dare propose. And so she embroidered my day. But her careless use of money shocked me. When away from Chicago, she once sent me a telegram in lieu of a letter. When I remonstrated by letter, I received a second telegram to laugh at me. No, you could not handle Ruth. There came a day, however, when, to her astonishment, she found that someone else could not be handled, too. The summer of 1925 I spent in Canada with my Aunt Nellie, mother's youngest sister. On returning to the Institute, I now faced having to support myself entirely. This meant working three days a week instead of only at noon, but I was highly favored. I had obtained the post of a waitress at the faculty table in the Institute dining room. This meant being down half an hour before each meal to prepare the food nicely. It also meant staying half an hour afterwards to wash up and set the table. In addition, there was a time consumed in having my meal after the other students had already finished theirs. It was not too strenuous. However, for it was among the Christians, no more heathen Americans shouting at me. 
It was exacting, for I had to be there right on time, and there was no great distance away as the other job had been. No time was wasted in getting to work. One day I was in the act of preparing a meal when in breezed Ruth. She had arrived unexpectedly with her parents for a short visit. So this is where we are now, she teased. Say, I've got something to tell you. With an eye on the clock hand, which was traveling close towards my deadline, I said, keep it, dearie, until tonight, can you? I've been dying to hear it, but my job has to come first. I have to get this finished before the faculty arrives. I've been working full time this term. There would be no more meals out in the pretty tea room. Ruth stood and pouted. But I want to talk to you about my soul, she said with a twinkle in her eye. How important is that? And you stand there flaying radishes into rosebuds and say another time? How do you know I'll feel like talking about it at another time? There's something wrong here. Something's got to be done about this. Then she had to leave before the faculty had begun to arrive. I felt uncomfortable. It was true that Ruth wasn't the kind of person who could open up doors to her sanctum at any odd moment. On the other hand, I had to work. Surely the Lord expected faithfulness in my job. Inwardly, I prayed for help and went on with the task at hand. Ruth was busy, too. She arrived in my room that evening, her gay old self. I have it all arranged, she said happily. No more table serving for little Miss Pats. That was her nickname for me. Apparently, I was addicted to short, quick movements when showing affection. Many short, little kisses and many little pats on the back and a hug. My children laughed at the former, and Ruth declared she got homesick for the latter. The name has pursued me throughout the years. I told my father about you, Ruth continued. He says he'll be delighted to support you through the rest of your schooling here. Now then, whenever Ruthie arrives and needs talking to, she can have it. And many others, too. Don't you see the Lord's hand in this, ma'am? With a roguish delight. But I didn't. There was an awkward silence. Ruth's father was a fine, clean man, but he played the races and gained his money in unusual worldly ways. Hudson Taylor believed firmly that God did not need and will not use for blessing money offered by unbelievers. God is able to provide for his own children apart from help from those who serve mammon. We can afford to have as little as the Lord chooses to give, he once said, and we cannot afford to have unconsecrated money. But would Ruth ever be able to understand what I meant by refusing on that score? Her eyes sparked with mischievous delight when I said her father's money was unconsecrated. She would have had a good time telling him that. Miserably, I tried to explain without appearing ungrateful. But when she saw that it really touched what was sacred to me, she accepted it quietly. For Ruth was a lady born. When her visit ended, I was still a faculty waitress. This is a rather long chapter, so I'm going to end this, this chapter right now. We're going to kind of break it in half, and I'll read the second part of the chapter next time. I love you. I'm praying for you. Bye-bye for now.